The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop, that's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we wrap up a busy week. And Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you again for being with us. Lots to talk about, lots of news. We have uh, looks like a trade deal with China. We are talking about passage in the House this week of the Ag Labor Reform Bill and just all kinds of things going on. Here are our guests today that we have lined up. We'll talk with the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall. We're going to talk markets and market reaction to all this news with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. And we're going to start things off now with the CEO of the National Potato Council. Glad to have with us Cam Quarles. Cam, thank you for joining us here on AOA. Mike, good morning. How are you? Very good. So lots to talk about. We'll start with the passage in the House of the uh, Ag Labor Reform Bill. Um, This is something I know your group has been pushing for, so this was a big step getting passage in the House. Tell us why it's important to your industry. Well, the the ag labor crisis in the the U.S. has been growing over uh, the last few years, and it's really reaching a critical level. Uh, the potato industry, we've been, as, as the pressure has gotten more intense, our, our folks have become uh, much more focused on this issue. It, really what happened this week was a landmark uh, event. The House has not been able to, to move forward with meaningful labor reform in decades. So uh, the fact that you had a strong bipartisan vote to move this thing out of the House and over to the Senate is a pretty strong signal that we think we, we, we might be able to actually get something done here, this, this Congress. Yeah, the vote was 260 to 165 for the Farm Workforce Modernization Act, but there is uh, opposition to it. Uh, a lot of concerns have been raised. It's been labeled as an amnesty bill. How do you think that impacts it moving into the Senate? Yeah, it's the, that's the challenge. Whenever you pick up ag labor reform, regardless of what you're talking about, I, I think there are some folks who, um, who who just you know philosophically have got some problems with the the, the idea that um, we we've got a, a a workforce here that um, uh, you know is improperly documented. They're not undocumented. They're improperly documented, um, and how you how you deal with that those folks who are doing the work every day in a way that doesn't cause a catastrophe in american agriculture is really is really the challenge um, that being said when you look at the vote this week you had a lot of republicans who are pretty savvy about agriculture issues realize that the 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 guest worker reforms that are in this bill, the enforcement measures that are in this bill, and stabilizing the current workforce, that creates a package that 
uh, is really going to generate jobs for our economy, is going to deal with a crisis that is decades in the making, and it's going to ensure that we never get back to this uh, ugly situation that we're in right now where the vast majority of folks doing the, 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 the harvest labor, the hand labor activities are just simply uh, falsely documented in U.S. agriculture. Well, as we've said several times, many ag groups are supporting this. Um, the American Farm Bureau at this point is not, although the California Farm Bureau did support the bill. Now it goes to the Senate. Do you expect changes in the bill uh, in the Senate? Well, that's really the key, and you know, we—it's—it's we, uh, it's kind of a kind of an interesting uh, paradox that we deal with immigration much differently than we deal with the farm bill. In a in a farm bill, we start out in the House with what usually is an imperfect bill, um, and then we send it over to the Senate. We we improve it at every step. We shave off the rough edges that we don't like. We ultimately get to a conference committee, and then we send a bill to the president's desk that sets up ag policy for the next five years. If we if we apply that same philosophy to immigration reform we can actually provide a solution that's durable that lasts for decades. Um, But I think some folks have required a perfect bill right out of the gate. And when you do that, you just ensure failure time and time and time again. So we we want the Senate to to either take this bill up or write their own. Um, We're going to take the best of any pieces of those pieces of legislation marry them together and send a strong bill to the president's desk. That's that's the way we're successful across a variety of different issues in D.C., and it's the only way, really, to get things done here. So we'll see what happens in the Senate. We're talking with Cam Quarles, CEO of the National Potato Council. Cam, I know you, as many others are, have to be excited about what looks to be the closest we've been to getting at least a, a mini-deal trade deal done with china in after this year-long battle of a, a trade war it looks like it may finally be coming uh, partially to a close anyway and, and a door opening for u.s agriculture yeah that's exactly right mike um if we can if we can have some positive momentum on the china front um backed up by we got a great deal on uh, on on japan tariffs um earlier this year um, now it appears that we've got USMCA heading for a for a vote in the House for ratification. All of these signs will provide a much more uh, stable trade environment for for potato farmers and U.S. agriculture broadly looking into to 2020. So uh, th- these are key markets for us. Twenty percent of all the potatoes that are produced in the United States have to find a home offshore. And we want to make sure that those those markets are open and willing to accept our uh, high-quality products around the world. So 20% of U.S. potato production is for the export market. Uh, I, I don't know if the, maybe a lot of us that aren't real familiar or follow closely the potato industry might not have realized it's that high. That That is, that, that is the case. That's um, processed products. That's also fresh. Um, and we really feel that the work that's being done in these trade agreements, they're primarily focused on tariffs, but they provide a lot of leverage to open markets more widely to, uh, to fresh potato exports, 
to chipping potatoes. Uh, it, it, um, uh, it, it starts a bigger conversation that ultimately can lead to uh, hundreds of millions of dollars more in U.S. potato exports. All right, Cam, good to talk with you. Thank you, and we'll stay in touch. Appreciate it. Mike, thank you. Take care. Cam Quarles, CEO of the National Potato Council. Yeah, a lot of excitement over what looks to be uh, a positive uh, development here with the the U.S.-China trade situation, although we're still waiting to hear uh, the China side of it. Do they agree with what's being reported here in the U.S. as far as uh, the delay of tariffs and uh, maybe actually ready to sign that phase one, that mini deal. We shall see a lot of promises, a lot of talk about some big numbers for U.S. ag sales to China in 2020. We'll be talking about that later with Arlen Suderman with INTLFC Stone. But up next, we'll talk about it with the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin Whittall joins us next on AOA. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres? That's smart. With Credenz Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credenz variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall. Hi, Colin. How are you? I'm well, Mike. Good morning. Hey, we finally, we've waited all year for this, but we have a positive trade news here at the end of the year let's let's start with the the news of the day we're kind of still waiting for more details but it looks like maybe a breakthrough on china so i can confirm because i just got the phone call that the negotiators have just walked out of the room it is done and we will see an announcement coming out of the white house probably uh, here later this morning but uh, it looks like phase one is complete we don't have all the details on what's in it but that is a very positive sign in trying to get things squared away in our trade relationship with china so overall when you take that and you add it to japan and usmca it could be a merry christmas for all of us in the cattle business when it comes to trade and we're hearing some potentially big numbers of ag purchases by china in 2020 we are, when you look at all of the analysts uh, right now, and uh, just on, on protein alone and uh, African swine fever and what that has done to their uh, protein supply, there's going to be opportunities. And whether we're talking to Cattlefax, Rabobank, everybody is really optimistic about what this could do for the markets. And, of course, after what we have seen throughout the fall here with the cattle markets, getting a little shot in the arm is definitely going to be welcome. Uh, we won't know all the details until we uh, truly understand what's in this Phase 1 uh, deal. But regardless, we know that yeah, exports into China have already increased and probably will continue to increase. So we'll wait for those details. Meanwhile, USMCA looks like uh, maybe a House vote this month, a Senate vote next month. So it looks like we will have the House vote on this next week before they pack up and leave for Christmas. 
this is this is a big deal. And when you step back and look at what does that really mean for the cattle industry, there's not going to be any incremental access for us, Mike. What it does, however, is provides the certainty that we'll be able to maintain that trading relationship with Canada and Mexico. And, of course, Canada and Mexico are two of the top five export markets for our product. They have been for years. And so we need to maintain that that uh, overall consistency, and so that is going to be uh, good for us. You know, as as we know, uh, markets sure don't like uh, surprises, and so to be able to say that we are going to have this deal moving forward is going to be good for us. So it's going to pass. The votes have been there since the summer, but they just needed to work out a few more things when it came to the provisions in Mexico of enforcing labor. That is now passed uh, muster for the Democrats, so it will pass. But however, the Senate now wants. To to go in and do a hearing, and unfortunately, that's going to take up some time and push a final vote into 2020. So, really, USMCA doesn't um, give you a lot more than NAFTA for the beef industry, but it, it gives you that certainty to keep what you have. The, the certainty is what is what's important. You know, as, as I said, markets markets don't like surprises; they don't like uncertainty. So, having that certainty, knowing that those two countries will continue to be good export markets for us is important because one of the things that we were concerned about, Mike, is that the president would get frustrated and he would pull us out of NAFTA. And if that were to be the case, and we'd have a lot of beef sitting here on the U.S. market, and that definitely would not have been positive for uh, cattle prices. We're talking with Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Now let's talk about some action in the Senate, the Senate uh, looking at the Real Meat Act. Tell us about this. So the Real Meat Act is something that we have been working on for months now in both the House and Senate. The House version was introduced last month, and just this week we had Senator Fisher, a Republican from Nebraska, and Senator Cortez Masto, who is a Democrat from Nevada, uh, join and introduce a Senate companion version. And what it does is it provides us protection. The concern we've always had with the plant-based fake meat in particular is their use of our terms and what they have done to market by disparaging our product. What this is going to do is going to force them to use the term imitation when they uh, use beef in any shape, form, or fashion. Imitation has to be in the same size, shape, color, and right next to that term beef, much like what we have seen in the imitation crab market. And if it doesn't include that term imitation, then it's going to be considered misbranded and as such would have to be uh, pulled back and action taken against that company. But the key here is FDA gets the opportunity to do their job first, but if they don't do their job within 60 days, then USDA gets to come forward and provide the enforcement of that action. I think that really provides some more teeth here. So we're excited about what this is going to do to continue to put restrictions on what the uh, plant-based products can and can't do in our space. Are the Senate and House bills similar, or are there differences? Uh, They are similar, and so that's going to make it much easier to try to get that done here in 2020. We're not going to have enough time left in the congressional session here in 2019 to finish it up this year. But looking at 2020, there is going to be time to consider these bills, have votes, and get them passed. 
And what gives us some optimism is that these are bipartisan bills. So we have Republicans and Democrats alike who have not only co-sponsored the original legislation, but now they're continuing to sign on as that legislation is out there. And every additional member that we have helps us build that momentum to get consideration on the floor and ultimately get this passed. So it's going to be a top priority for us in 2020 to finish that legislation. Well, you told us several weeks ago that you would be very aggressive in answering the challenge of these uh, cell and plant-based products in, in the marketplace now. And I guess this is another example of, of how you're going to uh, respond to the, that challenge. Uh, it is. We have to continue to take them on. Again, they have every right to be in the marketplace, and we're not going to stop them from existing as a company, but we are going to work very hard to restrict what they can call their product and not be able to let them just call it beef without any other clarifiers, and we're going to continue to fight back in the media like we have to set the record straight on the true uh, impact of our industry on the environment, which is something that has basically been the focus of their entire media campaign or promotional campaign, and we're just going to correct that record and, and try to box them in a little bit more. Yeah, we're starting to see more information about uh, those products as far as sodium levels, the fact that they're highly processed, uh, that information is now kind of getting out more. It is getting out. And what's interesting is when you look at a lot of really kind of disinterested third parties, those who are not really in either camp, uh, they're starting to come out and, and question that sodium content and also really focus on just how processed these products are. You know, we have one ingredient, and that's beef. When you look at the ingredient labels on Beyond and Impossible, you know, there's 20, 25, 30-plus ingredients in there. And that is starting to get people's attention that, okay, if, if you were looking at this as an alternative, but yet you are somebody who doesn't like processed foods, uh, then, you know, this is, this is not probably the option that you're really looking for. And I think that's something that uh, will continue to, to gain momentum as people realize that this is not the, the anti-meat panacea that companies like Beyond are making it out to be. And finally, Colin, uh, give us an update on the hours of service uh, issue. So we do have Congress working on the final uh, FY20 appropriations bill. This is the bill that will fund the government through the rest of the fiscal year, which is through September 30th. And in that bill will be an additional exemption for us so that way we don't have to comply with electronic logging devices. So we will maintain that. That will only be for livestock haulers, but we will maintain that. And that just continues to buy us more time to try to get action on the TREAD Act, which is another piece of legislation that we've had introduced, which would give us a 150 air mile exemption on the back end of a haul. We already have that on the front end of the haul. If we can add that on the back end of the haul, that will help us try to gain some more hours of service so we don't have cattle sitting on trailers on the side of the road or in a truck stop. Uh, it's incremental progress, but progress nonetheless, and that's also legislation that we're going to continue to push on when we get into 2020. Well, this is kind of the way things work, right, in Washington especially. You, you wait and wait, you work and work on issues, and it seems like everything kind of breaks at the same time all at once. It is always interesting to see, and it always seems to happen right before Christmas. So I'm sure there will be much yeah. more news coming our way. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that that is a deadline that always seems to get Congress's attention, right? Uh, indeed it is, and they always take full advantage of it. 
Yeah. Well, Colin, it's good to have some uh, positive news, especially on the trade front. And uh, we have quite a bit here at the end of the year. Thank you very much, and Merry Christmas to you, and we'll look forward to talking with you often in the new year. Merry Christmas, Mike, and thanks again for having me on your show. You bet. Take care. Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. So a lot of positive developments here, USMCA, and now China. We're going to talk with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone about that next. How will the markets react? This long-awaited trade news uh, on the China front especially. Will that spark a big rally? We'll talk about that next. Stay with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, credence soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. The potential of a trade deal between the U.S. and China has lean hog futures jumping on this Friday morning. On Capitol Hill, lawmakers from the House and Senate reached a bipartisan deal to fund the government beyond December 20th when the current stopgap spending plan runs out. Expectations are the House will vote on the plans on Tuesday of next week. Meanwhile, Mexico's Senate voted Thursday to approve the modifications negotiated this week to the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. In lean hog futures, an hour into the day, February up $1.50 at 7015, April up $1.87, 7650. In live cattle futures, February $1.67 higher at 126.75. Feeder cattle, January up $1.95 at 144.55 March at 145.27 that's up a dollar 82 cash cattle a light to moderate trade reported in the south yesterday 119 live fully steady with a week ago in the grain and oil seed sector in soybean futures nearby january up 9 cents 907 and a quarter march up nine and a half at 922 in corn the march contract is up three and a half at 381 wheat futures chicago march up three at 533 and a quarter kansas city march up six 448 and three quarters minneapolis spring wheat march up six and three quarters at 529 and three quarters of a cent outside markets on wall street the dow up 85 nasdaq up 47 s p up five january crude oil up 76 you're listening to adams on agriculture I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk it over with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone, their chief commodities economist. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, Arlen. Uh, maybe we finally have uh, at least this mini deal with China. Sure looks like it. 
Yeah, it's really hard to uh, to know how confident to be at this point. Uh, we are seeing that both U.S. and Chinese officials are going in the same direction, suggesting there is an agreement. There seems to be some variation in what exactly that means. We haven't seen any type of uh, written statements of it, and we've seen in the past where verbal comments later fail to verify, but it does look like we're moving in certainly a better direction than what we were. looks like China has agreed to uh, increase purchases. Uh, according to the United States, $50 billion. There's some discrepancy on whether that's ag commodities or whether it's ag energy and manufactured goods all into there. If it is ag commodities, that's going to be a very tough uh, lid to hit. Uh, but at the same time, if they bought $30 billion, that would be a, a, certainly a big improvement from where we are today. Uh, regardless, we'll probably be right back to where we are now or somewhere similar after the 2020 elections, um, as uh, we still have much bigger issues uh, of conflict between China and the United States that we'll probably be involved with for many, many years, maybe the next 10 or more years. What do you think? Uh, just a coincidence that uh, this announcement comes out today, the House uh, passes articles of impeachment? I don't believe in coincidences. <laughs> Everything is staged. <laughs> and, there, and I think that uh, when uh, you look at the timing of it, it's really made the impeachment go to the back of the headlines. And uh, President Trump has stolen the headlines here. China knew that President Trump needed to win, but President Trump also knew that China needed to win. They did not want to see these new tariffs go on on Sunday. Their economy is taking a big hit. Uh, further escalation would do them harm, and they need to be able to focus on uh, the severe meat shortage they have at home, as well as the growing pro-democracy demonstrations. So both sides needed a de-escalation, and uh, it was almost as if President Trump orchestrated the timing of the announcement, and uh, it worked out well for him. Well played, I would say for sure. Timing is uh, is critical. But now it's down to details. But when we look at market reaction, and this is the question I've been asking you throughout the year, how would the markets react? What kind of a jump would we see if a deal was, was announced? What are we going to see? Well, obviously, we saw the first reactionary jump, and now we pulled back from it. China said in their press conference that the purchases they make of ag commodities which will include corn and wheat and, and rice, and they indicated. So that we haven't heard much of those commodities mentioned for quite some time, so that's a positive. But they also said they'll all be under their existing quota system. And w- what we haven't heard yet, does that mean that we get all their quota or we get guaranteed a portion of it? Or is it just, okay, we're going to kind of remove these restrictions and buyers can buy U.S. if they want, or they can buy Ukrainian corn, that's their choice. That we don't know, and that lack of details is why we've really pulled back off of the highs. It is positive because the global corn balance sheet is relatively tight, absent of the surplus in China. Um, So there is some positive there. It's just what's the scope of that positive, and does this really justify sustaining a rally at this point? And, And probably not until we see actual business and not only sales but actual shipments. 
Yeah, positive news, but uh, we're still needing some answers to some key questions. We're talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. You talked about the China news pushing impeachment to the back burner. It's also kind of pushed uh, USMCA to the back burner, but that's still a, a key development as well. Yeah, what a week. USMCA, Brexit vote, which also has positive ramifications for the commodities, and then China. Uh, but USMCA, probably a bigger positive for the manufacturing sector, although certainly uh, the meat industry, I think, benefits significantly. Uh, dairy, to some extent, going north to Canada, and wheat also, to some extent, more limited extent. Um, but certainly glad to have that finally behind us, removing some uncertainty and providing some positive underpinnings for the commodities. So if we get what looks to be, to some extent, some trade peace after a year of trade turmoil and tensions, uh, what does that signal, what signal does that give us going into next spring and, you know, hopefully a bounce back year weather-wise and production-wise? Well, first of all, we're looking to expand corn and soybean acres. Again, there's 15 million acres expected to come back into just corn and soybean acres, let alone some of the other crops. Um, So we have to have the demand to support that. That's easier done on the corn side probably than on the soybeans, depending on the details of what happens coming out of these trade agreements, particularly with China. Um, But it certainly does give us a positive flow go back also to uh, May 24th of 2018. Up until then, the funds had been buying the commodity sector and interpreting any fundamental news they saw through the filter of, we have a growing global economy, and so therefore demand for commodities will be rising. And that flipped on that day when President Trump gave Robert Lighthizer the instructions to start preparing punitive tariffs on China to demand destruction, that a trade war is going to be bad for the global economy, therefore bad for commodity demand. So they've been shorting the commodities for the last year and a half. This certainly does change the dynamics of how the commodity, how the funds view the commodities. There's other things involved in it. We'll have to watch and see how it plays out. But my sense is they will start viewing the fundamentals in a more positive light. And uh, that does impact the price that we see all the way down to the farm gate. It sets up a really a, a fascinating scenario for 2020, doesn't it? Especially if we would get good weather. It really does. And uh, President Trump is uh, just by observing his actions, he's indicated that while he sometimes makes some missteps, as he did in the biofuels, I believe, that uh, he recognizes, and I think the uh, Democrats also have come to recognize, the importance of the farm vote, the rural vote. So I anticipate that whether it be through increased trade or increased cash flow from the government, um, that there's going to be a priority on agriculture in the year ahead, and it looks like that's being channeled more toward the trade side, which I think most farmers would prefer right now. So it looks like it may be a good year for agriculture in 2020. Uh, what's longer term is what we need to focus on next. You know, looking at ethanol, we're still waiting to see what they do with the RFS, and that those are big decisions we're waiting on. But just this trade deal with China could open that market up to ethanol. It was just getting started, so that could be a real boost for that industry that's really been hurting this year. 
I have felt like that could be one of the unmentioned keys going forward. We have heard indications from our sources in China that there may be some significant interest in ethanol. I haven't seen it mentioned yet this morning. That's something I'm watching for. I think that could end up being bigger than any corn or soybean purchases as far as its longer-term implications on Midwest agriculture. Well, it's, uh, after what we've been through in 2019, and so many have said, let's get 2019 behind us and move on to 2020, uh, it's, it's nice to have a more positive outlook for a change. It really is, and it's been a tough year, and unfortunately a year that lingers on with much of the 2019 crop still in the field. Yeah. So let's just kind of look at the markets now. This, this, you know, this is the game changer we've been looking for, and we'll wait and see how it plays out as far as details and timing and all that. But as you look now market-wise for the rest of this year and through this winter time, how, how do you see prices? Well, I do think we're going to see an increase in volatility as the trade starts figured out. We'd really kind of um, been just languishing, waiting for news. We'd covered a lot of shorts in the specs. Um, now we wait to see if they actually build any longs. I think that's going to hinge on actual purchases by China and what happens there. I think we're going to hear rumors both ways. It's going to happen. It's not going to happen. Uh, eventually, I do think that China is going to try to increase its purchases over the next year to put on a good face to try to divert attention because I think it wants to deal with the Hong Kong protesters in a probably a more harsh way, and it wants the attention focused away from it, uh, a little bit of positive spin in the months and year, in the coming year to go. And I think we're going to see an increase in shipments of U.S. meat to China. That's going to help our meat industry. That's good for grain feeding as well. So I do think there's going to be a positive tone. It's the scope of that strength that's still yet to be determined. So we know that a lot of grain is sitting in storage. Farmers are kind of waiting. So uh, now it's if it looks very positive, do they wait even longer to see just how high it's going to go? <laughs> well, the farmer does tend to be bullish. That's part of what helps him survive the hard times and uh, get by. It looks like, you know, what's going to happen with the final quarter of uh, 25% of the uh, market facilitation payments if those get shut down, then he's probably going to be in a position of having to move cash. The market's going to have to work through that cash. It means we could see some weakness in basis to offset some board strength. Farmers are going to have to manage that basis risk as well as we go forward. We're going to have to get that crop through the system. Um, and then we're going to deal with a lot of uh, surprises, I think, in the quarterly stocks report through the year as well. I, I really think that uh, we're going to have a whole different type of volatility in the year ahead um, that's going to provide some challenges and some opportunities for farmers. It'll keep things interesting. Yeah, we'll wait and see what happens with those MFP payments. That's another piece of this puzzle as well. All right, Arlen, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with INTL FC Stone. Wow, lots going on. Stay with us. More to come here today on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. I am continually amazed at the new uses found for soy. We've talked recently about a new soy-based motor oil. Now we're going to learn about a bio-based polymer for asphalt. That's right. We're talking about paving of our roads. Uh, We're going to talk now with... Greg Fuyan, he's a Nebraska soybean farmer and a former member of the United Soybean Board. Uh, Greg, thanks for joining us. Tell us about this high oleic soybean oil being used in uh, in uh, in paving uh, with asphalt. How, how did this all come about? Yeah, good morning, Mike, and thanks for having me on. Um, the uh, high oleic uh, oil that's being used... Uh, in, in asphalt is uh, the result of, of a strategic partnership between uh, the United Soybean Board and Iowa State University and, and uh, the Asphalt Pavers Association, as well as uh, the Iowa Soybean Association. And, and uh, the checkoff uh, provided money for funding for research to uh, develop this product at Iowa State University, and, and we're seeing great successes with it. Well, it would seem there's huge potential for this. Yeah, there really is. Uh, we uh, the uh, we're going to replace the petro- some petroleum portion of the uh, of the asphalt mix, the asphalt chemistry, uh, to create a polymer that is uh, much more flexible, um, much more resilient, uh, gives longer uh, longer service life and better service life. And uh, not only that, it's it's environmentally friendly, it's sustainable, and in, in many cases in the in the Midwest, it's locally grown. So we're talking about over 4 million miles of paved roads in the U.S. Over 300 million tons of asphalt were produced and placed on U.S. roadways last year alone. So how much of that uh, market uh, do you think you can get? Well, it's hard to tell at this point. Uh, the good news is is uh, not only all those things that I just mentioned previously um, about being environmentally friendly and sustainable, Etc. Um, but it's also a cheaper solution, less costly solution than uh, than the current uh, products that are being used. So uh, we really think that uh, the sky is the limit on this. And uh, one of the real caveats to this whole thing is that uh, the uh, regrindings, when they uh, grind the surface off the old roads, and, and they currently use about 17% of uh, those uh, grindings as for the resurfacing. Um, with this high oleic product, the oleic acid content allows them to to increase that level of reuse on the asphalt to over 30%. So there's some real efficiencies that are really, I think, going to help drive this market. It takes a lot of research to develop these new products, and then it takes a lot of work to get them commercially accepted, to get them into the marketplace. Kind of take us through all those steps and what you have to go through. That's true. It, it really is a long process. It's a it's a uh, process that takes a lot of a lot of uh, tending to. Um, the process starts uh, 
with uh, the checkoff funding at the at the basic level um, from uh, USB United Soybean Board as well as uh, in some cases uh, state soybean boards um, goes through that initial research phase. Um, and one thing USB is focused on in the last uh, couple years is um, once these products are in the development stage and reaching the uh, the uh, oh the uh, near commercialization stage, we've really tried to make a fo- keep a focus on. Uh, following them through and, and uh, doing what's doing what's needed to get them into actual commercialization and, and get them to uh, to the point where they don't just sit on the shelf they're actually being used and, and uh, developing markets and then the market has the users of the of a product have to see the testing have to has to see the performance has to have verification before they really commit to it that's that's correct uh, in particular, in the roads, obviously they have to meet uh, the federal and, and state standards. Uh, um, uh, currently, there are uh, we are on, undergoing testing at the uh, national test track in uh, Auburn, Alabama. Um, the uh, many states are conducting currently conducting their individual state trials. Um, the testing so far has we've been passing with flying colors, and we anticipate that will continue. And, and we look forward to. Uh, Having all those uh, those tests and and the results of those tests in place in the very near future. And I mentioned this is high oleic soybean oil. Why is that a key? Well, it's a key. High oleic is uh, is a uh, uh, very economical, um, a uh, environmentally friendly. Um, it's a functional solution. Um, and uh, it is developed, the hyaluronic is genetics that are, uh, are uh, mainly developed by the checkoff with the help of the checkoff and some of our, our technology partners. Um, the soybean checkoff has put a lot of effort into uh, delivering these uh, genetics and, and uh, moving them along to commercialization. Um, we think that uh, it's a market that we can really regain some of our lost market um, in the food sector, um, in particular um, when we lost markets due to the trans fat issue. But uh, in the industrial uses sector, um, some of those uh, attributes that make it a great solution in the food sector are also um, are also uh, attributes that make it uh, make it attractive in the industrial uses, which is the functionality and the longer shelf life and, and the actual overall stability of that product. So it's really a it's a great uh, it's a great product. It's a win win for uh, for the end users and and the producers as well. And again, shows uh, the value of that soybean checkoff-funded research. That's correct. Um, uh, the uh, checkoff is—I've been involved with that for a long time—and and the farmers on the—they're uh, in charge of administering that checkoff. Treat that money like it's their own, and and they realize that uh, there has to be a there has to be a return on the investment we make, and and uh, the soybean farmers—that's hard-earned money that belongs to the soybean farmers. And uh, we need to get a return that uh, the soybean farmers would be satisfied with. Well, another exciting new use for uh, soy. And here to tell us about it today has been Greg Fuyan. He's a soybean farmer from Nebraska, former uh, director of the United Soybean Board. Greg, that's great news. Thanks for being with us and sharing it with us. It's my pleasure, Mike. All right. Thank you very much. Well, that wraps it up for today. Lots going on. Thank you for joining us here on AOA Adams on agriculture.
The patented pod shatter reduction technology canola hybrids from Invigor are the perfect blend of strength and durability. Stronger pod seams and stems protect the canola seeds within while protecting you from potential yield loss. And that gives you added flexibility at harvest, even when dealing with adverse weather conditions. Shattering yield records, not pods. That's smart. Contact your local BASF seed advisor today. Always read and follow label directions.